Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. I'm Mel. I'm Helen. And I'm Janet. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about stereotypes. Whether it's the color of our skin, the job title on our LinkedIn, or the city we answer when someone asks us where we are from, each of these aspects of identity are an opportunity for someone to assume other traits about us. A stereotype is defined as a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing. Okay, ladies, what are the most common stereotypes about being Asian? Well, I think us being Asian and women, one of the more obvious ones is that we are bad drivers. I would admit I failed my driving test two, two, three times? Three times. Oh, really? That's a lot of times to, like, well, at what point did you actually mess up? Could you not do, like, the three-point turn or parallel was parking? parking? Or was it moving? I'm actually, I actually fucked up on everything, but, um, but my testing zone was kind of difficult. And the dividing lines were really messy. The, uh, I don't think that's a lot. <laughs> um, excuse me? Um, so anyways, the instructor told me to drive forward and please turn left. And I turned on to oncoming traffic. Oh. Kind of that's an automatic fail, huh? Exactly. I got an <laughs> oh. automatic fail. But I'm a much better driver now because of LA. Mm, this is true. I'm an amazing parallel parker um, thanks to my back cam. With the help of technology. Yes. Your, your skills have improved. And it's because in LA you have to drive everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I'm no longer a shitty driver. How about you, Helen? Um, I am a pretty good driver, I would say. I'm seeing some questionable faces here. <laughs> I'm an amazing driver. I okay. Never, I, Actually, I, never I don't know if I've ever ridden in your yeah, car. Well, you know yeah. what? That's because I only have one extra seat, so I can't have both of you in there. <laughs> it's because you don't want a lot of people in your car because you know you're a shitty driver? No. <laughs> no, it's because I'm such a great driver that I have a cool little fancy car. No. Um, but I'm not a good parallel parker, I would say. I do mm. have a back cam, and that does help, but... Uh, yeah, it's not always consistent. I feel like I have the reverse. Like, I'm pretty good at parking, I think, because of living in L.A. and then spending time in San Francisco, too. Ooh, yeah. So parking I'm good at. It's when the car is moving that sometimes I, I definitely have Asian female driver moments. Wait, but isn't it all the time, though? Because if you're sitting in your car, you're just not moving. <laughs> oh, no, when you're parking. When you're parking. Or in traffic, right? I can drive in traffic pretty well. So you're just a really good parallel parker. <laughs> 
and a good traffic sitter. <laughs> Do you ladies ever wonder why this is a stereotype for Asian women and not for like any other race or gender? I feel like I only hear about it for Asian women. Mm, now that I think about it, my grandma actually never drove a car before. But your grandfather did. My grandpa did. Oh, okay. So maybe there was something to women just driving less or not drive, not getting the practice because they're not driving frequently. Yeah. If you actually think about it, you know, back in our grandparents' time, it's always like, it's always our grandma that was at home taking care of the kids and our, so the grandfather is driving the car, you know, taking care of the business. Yeah. No, yeah. that's true. My mom actually doesn't drive. So not even like grandparents' time. It's like mom's time. <laughs> she, so she doesn't drive. My dad drives her everywhere. And that's because when she first came to America, she was taking care of the kids and she was right. able to walk to school so that whenever she needed to get somewhere else, like my dad would just drive around. And now she's like, definitely not. But she did get her, her driver's license just to have the ID. Other than that, she can't drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And what about the, like the uh, Asian component. Why do you think Asian people particularly? Well, I think, for example, my dad can't read the size in English. My mom has to read um, the Google Maps to him when we drive. So I think it's a language barrier. That's true. Like every time I go to a different country and I'm in a rental, I will always be extra careful and extra slow. Also because I can't read the signs. Yeah. So in any other country, I am a bad Asian female driver. In the U.S., though, I'm not. But I do think that maybe it is a carryover stereotype from when we, like our parents' generation were here mm-hmm. and they couldn't read the signs. Right, so maybe that's right. carried over to our generation. Yeah. It's become a stereotype, right? Have you been called out for that or called out for being a bad driver? Yes, I actually say it before anyone else can say anything. Oh, so it's to kind of excuse, exactly. you kind of preface the experience. Whenever mm. I do mess up with something, though, I do like kind of hide my face, like, ah, oh, don't look at me. Because yeah. anytime I see someone like cut someone off, I always take like look into, like, peek yeah. into their car to see what race are they. Yeah, <laughs> is that bad? I do that all the no, time. I no, I mean that. I think that is part of human nature. But I, I also like when I have some sort of, if I have any type of incidents, if we look, if we lock eyes, I know I'm like that is what they're thinking. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, you're right. And then other times I'm like, uh, you were the one that made, like you turned into my lane. So everyone in LA is just a bad driver. You know another stereotype of Asians, uh, kung fu. Yeah. Y'all have do guys- kung fu. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't do kung fu. Um, I did ballet. Well, actually, no, I didn't even do ballet. I used to sit in my sister's class and watch her do the ballet. <laughs> did anyone in your family, do, like either male cousins or like uh, fathers? or? Well, my dad is named Bruce, you know, after Bruce Lee um, when he first came to the States. So I guess that's the closest thing I had to kung fu. I don't have anything closer to that either. Uh, my grandfather actually did do tai chi uh, for many years and he did teach it as well so i guess if someone were to meet him and stereotype him for being a martial arts person that would have been true um also when i did spend time in kenya i had a lot of little uh kenyan children when they would see me walk down the streets they would start like mimicking kung fu moves and they would be like hiya hiya kung fu and at first oh god um, <laughs> at first like i i was like really shocked because if you were ever in the u.s and people you walk down the street and kids are doing that to you you'd be like uh that's racist yeah um but the a lot of the people the locals explained to me that's their way of trying to connect with you because i stood out i was obviously not african and then usually people that go and volunteer there are like white mm. so all they know about me i mean it was like me another korean dude they don't anyone that looks yellow they were just like ha oh, like they're <laughs> trying to just like relate to you so having it flipped it explained to me that way i started to realize okay i'm not i don't take it as offense i took it as like uh, an extension of trying to like get to know me I think the reason why Asians are associated with Kung Fu, it's probably because of Hollywood and those Kung Fu movies were America's first exposure to Asians. No, I think that is very true because white people only knew of Asian people through Hollywood film. And because they were so big, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, Ip Man, right? Through 
movies, that's what they all associate Asian people with. And so when they see an Asian person on the street, they're going to be like, oh, you're a stereotypical, like, probably Kung Fu and martial artist because that's all they knew about us, right? So it's almost like a good thing that that is sort of what people can connect with us to, right? Like, it's great that we had someone in Hollywood in that position that was so, like, renowned, renowned, right? Except now everyone thinks that that's who we all are. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, I guess that's in, some ways, in some ways you could kind of use it to your advantage because if someone thinks you can beat them up, I mean, isn't that kind of somewhat of an upper hand? Yeah, yeah until you can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh shit. <laughs> what about uh, the stereotype that Asian people are cheap? Do you guys think that that's something that fits in? I don't to... think it's cheap. It's like more like frugal. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're awesome savers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's get like what what exact how exactly would we define cheap? Like, is it you know? I don't think we're stingy. There's a difference mm. between cheap, yeah, yeah. stingy, mm. frugal. Like, the, it, there's different tiers of different levels. Right. Because I know that every time we go out for like a family dinner, people are always like trying to take yeah. the bill. Right. It's an actual thing that like you need to fight to pay the bill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a safe face. It's a safe face, and it's to treat. No, I guess it is to save face. It's to save face. Also, I think that in most Asian households, to show love is actually through food. It's maybe to show face if it's like friends, but I think in your family it truly is. Like even even for eldest children, it's a thing. Like I feel like I have to pay for people to take. It's a way of taking care of them. Oh, fuck. Right? I'm like a sense of responsibility. <laughs> My cheat side's coming out now. I have to pay for everyone? Shit. But that's true. So that would be, that's like, we're not, we're not, uh, like we're, we're willing to spend when it means a certain thing. But then... In terms of like saving, we were always taught that like your day-to-day spending, especially when it comes to spending on yourself, that mm. you need to be um, really reserved. Right. Like even my mom, she like never goes shopping or she'll always buy like the cheapest thing. Yeah. That is like only 70% discount while I buy that shirt. And then when I buy her something, she's just like, mm, return it. Like, I don't, I don't need this. Why is that necessary? You know? So it is. But then she'll go out and spend like hundreds of dollars on a dinner for like, yeah. the whole family mm-hmm. it's like mom buy yourself like a new pair of shoes with that money no i totally get you my mom's hobby used to do on the weekend is to go to tj maxx or ross and we had this game now where she would message me online and go look what i bought it's you know her and some dress or some shoes she guess goes, how much it was she's like guess how much and i go 20 and she's like no 12 dollars. and i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> did i win something <laughs> So in conclusion, I don't think Asian people are cheap. We just want to spend our money on specific things to show our love. Yes, uh, I agree. So another common stereotype is that we're good at math. Helen, I think you're pretty good at math. Yeah, I'm good at math. I mean, you work in finance. I'll you better that. be good at math. I better know, right? I'm, actually, I'm good at um, Excel and calculators. <laughs> you excel at Excel? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not a new one. <laughs> Damn. Well, Janet, wait. Were you a math major? Yeah, I was a joint math econ major. Um, that's the most good at math you can get, right? <laughs> actually, no. The, as a math major, I didn't. It wasn't numbers. It was all abstract, like formulas. I surprisingly am really good at math. People don't think that because I don't work in a finance field or whatever. Mm. But. Um, but growing up, I did go to those tutoring sessions. Kumon. I went to Brainchild on the weekend, so I went there for four to five years. Like, I had additional math homework on top of my regular math homework. Mm. And my mom would give me her own math problems to do. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so she would always emphasize math. Well, I think the I think why we are labeled as good at math, at least for me, like, my story is that it's because 
when I was younger, my mom could only help me out with my math homework. Mm, that's true. So they would give me a lot of like multiplication problems and like different things. Like right, I remember right. there was this one time they gave me like five times seven before dinner. And I literally went to the bathroom to just count it out in my hand so I could be ready with the answer before I <laughs> sat down. Like these are things that I had to do. And I felt like in order to like save face or show that I was like smart and learning, I had to do that. Um, but yeah, I think it's because our parents focused on math because they knew math. They didn't right. really know like literature or like English and or, history. Really help us, or history. Right. So that's why a lot of kids are good at math. Well, actually, I mean, I think, I think it's, a, it is a positive thing to be uh, thought of as like being good at math. The one thing that I don't really like about it is I feel like they also then assume that because you're good at math, you're not good at like English or literature. Did you guys feel that way? And, and that kind of can like reinforce your interest as a child, right? I mean, I think that for me, just speaking for myself, like that is true because if I look at my SAT scores, they were significantly higher for math than they were for English or literature. Well, I can, I know like when I was growing up, I distinctly remember in grade school flipping back and forth from year to year, sometimes being better at math, sometimes being better at English. And then in the end, when I got to college, yeah, I chose math and econ as like I went the more rigid quantitative route. Um, And I think some of that is, is also like my my upbringing like we were taught that more quantitative stuff is like more challenging and better I feel like I'm the opposite of you I was always really good at math growing up I was always two grades ahead but I loved reading so much I ended up being a communication major Mm. but I hated writing so I don't know why I should have (laughs) yeah what the fuck I should have just majored in math no no, I would suck maybe maybe Mel and I should have switched no no, I would suck (laughs) I wouldn't do good math (laughs) Janet I challenge you next time you know you're a math major no, I should challenge you, Helen. Yeah. No, the math, I, I, it was abstract. It was like all of, it's like proving theorems. I didn't use it. Yeah, I don't want to go against no. you. <laughs> Give me an Excel file. I'll challenge you. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> Actually, another stereotype being Asian. Well, on top of that, being an Asian woman is that we can't drink. Naturally, people assume that women can't hold their alcohol. And, you know, being Asian, we're kind of smaller. So, you know, they think we can't drink. So what do you think about that? I mean, we drink every other weekend. Yeah, I have definitely had multiple instances of people coming up to me and being like, oh, it's okay, like you just have a little bit or or they like will assume. So I've definitely had that stereotype projected on me. I think I did that to you before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I personally think I can hold a pretty good amount of alcohol, I think. I have um, some of my guys' friends say, I, you know, you could drink pretty a lot for a girl. I think actually all three of us have been known to hold our alcohol pretty well, like challenging a lot of the dudes. But I do think when a guy, you know, tells you they think you can't drink, it makes me want to challenge them. Mm. How do you feel when a guy says, you know, you could drink a lot for a girl? A girl? A girl? You mean a person? I mean, I think we can all hold our alcohol. I think maybe the stereotype does come from the Asian glow, right? Yeah. Because I do know that in college when we drank with non-Asian people, like when someone got the glow right after one beer, they'd be like, oh my gosh. I think that's where, because it seems like you can't hold your, you can't handle your alcohol because your body is reacting to it in a very negative Mm. way, in a very public way. (laughs) But it's not really true. Have you ever felt like judged when? Definitely. And I think that's when I started taking Pepsid so that Mm. my face doesn't show as, as red. But you could definitely hold your alcohol, so. Um, (laughs) Um, She definitely can. All right, amongst us three, who do you think can handle the alcohol the most? The best. Oh, you, I thought you went, if you said drink the most, I think I can drink the most, but then I will sometimes <laughs> drink too much, and that's a problem. Wait, does that mean you can drink the most, though? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, what? Well, yeah. Because I will, like, if we, so say we had, I don't know, like, 
maybe you guys just stop at seven shots and I make the mistake of going to the 10th shot. Oh. That's like what, yeah. So at the end of the night, I drink I more. I guess the but. question is who can drink the most and be uh, fuck stable? Fine. <laughs> Did you say fuck fine? No, fine. Like, yeah, I still think I have a pretty high tolerance. Actually, she, has, she does have a very high tolerance, but I feel like I can drink the most. <laughs> I think I'd probably lose. There are times where we'll be drinking, and then I'll look at Janet, and she'll go, just just drink half. Actually, yeah. Jan, Jan, so Janet's the most aggressive. What? Or confident. Confident in her drinking abilities. I think you are. What are you talking about? No, no. She's the most confident because she will take that extra shot. So she's the most confident in like... not. Next time, just, saying, just yes. remind me. Well, let's see. Okay, so let's yeah play some math games after like seven shots next time to see yeah, who's test the best my at math and who's the best at drinking. <laughs> That's true. So now let's talk about stereotypes for women. For us as Asian women, we typically get the stereotypes of being very obedient and soft-spoken, meek, quiet, sort of just playing along with the rules and not really disrupting the system. With that said, have you ladies felt these stereotypes placed on you? I, I definitely have. I think that, um, I think because I am a rather reserved and kind of quiet person that people will kind of link that as being a woman and kind of quiet, that I'm like submissive and that I'm weak. And I would say generally that's not true. I think I'm a pretty strong person. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> if you yep. get to know me. So that would be one, you know, in, in various social settings and also professional settings, I feel like that, that happens quite often. I think I'm somewhat opposite of the stereotype of women being quiet. In my household, the women in my family are the head of household, so they're the ones making the decision on almost everything. Being outspoken, I think a lot of people will assume that I'm very controlling. I'm a planner and like to have things done a certain way. The fact that I like to take lead on certain things, men are really turned off by that. Mm. And they mm. want to be like, why can't I just take care of you? Why don't you just relinquish control? Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like not really about that. It's just like the fact that in my household, like we are the ones having a say as well and right. being right. the leader in our family. So for me, I feel like the stereotype actually applies most in the workplace. So I work in finance and I am a manager within a valuation team. I think the stereotypes that I had when I was first starting and that I still see being put on like our analysts and even just Asian women in general is that we are very soft-spoken. We'll put our heads down and we'll work really hard and not say no. Like we, we say yes to everything that comes across our desk and we don't really have an opinion, right? Like we don't really challenge assumptions. If our manager tells us that it should be this way, instead of trying to take that opportunity to learn, a lot of Asian women will take that and say, okay, I'll do this because obviously you know what's right. Mm -hmm. And I just want to get this done quickly so I can move on to the next thing, which I think itself it, in itself is a problem because a lot of people will give them more quantity of work to get done versus quality of work. During our meetup in New York, someone had come up to me and said that she notices in her professional setting that women don't get the best feedback because people are worried that women are more sensitive and emotional and will cry. Mm -hmm. And so they'd rather give them feedback that is a lot more like general or broad without getting detailed. And they would do the opposite for men where they would mm -hmm. give them like the detail, like this is why you sucked during yeah, the yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But at the same time, you think about the long-term effect of that, right? By doing that, you're maybe saving an awkward conversation, but you're really putting that woman like back. Right, She's right. not going to take the constructive feedback yeah. and do something with it. So another stereotype that I've talked about with my coworkers is that, so me and my coworkers are really candid about our conversations about girl talk. We talk about sex, the details of it. And they're like, oh, Mel, aren't you like so quiet in bed and very like a starfish and you have the mm. high pitched moans? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? That is 
not true. <laughs> They're like, yeah, it's from the, like, you know, when I watch porn, it's, that's all we see. And I was actually mm. surprised to hear that in my current day and age that people, other women of ethnic backgrounds have that assumption of Asian women right. in bed. And I think I wonder, it's like, is this stereotype from porn? I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think this stereotype is based from? I think you're right. I think it is from the porn industry. I mean, there's like general ways that they depict women that is that translates into how men perceive women to be generally day to day. But it's interesting that there's the racial component. So I think a lot of it does come from maybe like Japanese culture, even within like Japanese porn. So there was one time mm-hmm. I was in um, I was in Japan and we were in a porn. I'm just kidding. You're into porn. watching porn. They they have like a very like deep dark like porn culture yeah, there they because yeah, because yeah, people cool. are not expected to like really express themselves yeah. in a very sexual way so there's like a very like large so when it comes out it's very interesting yeah so yeah. actually I was in the hotel lobby and there's just porn playing what literally oh. on the screen I haven't seen that before um I think it was like a 21 plus hotel so maybe that's mm. why but like the man was just sitting on a table like a massage table and the woman was just like sucking him off like without <laughs> any expression and I was just like this is so this is mm. like the strangest porn I've ever seen in my life but it also goes back to like I think that very like submissive culture of like women are supposed to be there to like please a man mm-hmm. and come off as a very like soft and weak or whatever too, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that probably has come back to American porn, right? And so people who are actually more American will see that and say, oh, this is what this is what the white man wants. They want an Asian woman to be Oriental and yeah. to act this way. So maybe that's where they're getting it from. And how did it make you feel, Mel, when they kind of assumed that? What was your reaction? I was very shocked and kind of lightly offended because I personally don't relate to that type of sexual action, I guess. Right, right. Because I don't think, talking to my other fellow Asian American women about sex, we're not all like that. I mean, I'm be honest, I take pride in being aggressive sometimes in bed. I don't think I'm submissive nor hella aggressive. I play both roles. I like to take charge sometimes. I think both you guys can agree. You guys like to do that too. Apparently, you know, I'm so sure. <laughs> when I'm not lazy. When, I'm <laughs> when you're not starfishing. <laughs> yeah. Right, because I, I don't know. It just, it feels like, then it makes me sound like a lazy sex partner mm, when I'm not. Well, did you write them then? Did you tell them what's yeah, up? Yeah, what was your response? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, I, I do other things. <laughs> or how did, actually, and then how do they receive your your response? They're like, oh my God, really? You do that? I'm like, yeah, you do that. Why can't I do that? Mm. Yeah. We're sharing stories about like in bed. They're like, oh yeah, like I did this to the guy and then he did this to me and I did this. And I'm like, I can do things too, you know? Not like, <laughs> it's not just like he's going to do things to me. And so I'm, I'm just like, no, I like, take control. I can right, be dirty right. too. Shoot. <laughs> right? Yeah, you tell them, Mel. <laughs> yeah, I can't show them. So I have to tell them. <laughs> So another topic that people might judge us based off of or judge anyone based off of is your profession. First of all, maybe we can remind our listeners what professions we're in and then what are the general like stereotypes associated with your job. So Mel, why don't you start us off? Okay, so for those of you guys who don't know, I am a content producer for social media for a women's fashion site. And I think the basic um, judgment I get right away is that, oh, your job is really easy. You get, you get to be on Instagram all day and Facebook. It's so simple. And that my profession lacks depth and people in my profession are kind of quote unquote dumb. I actually don't think that's right at all because working this, working this career now, I'm realizing there's so much work that goes into social media. And I think the fact that people assume that there is that much work that gets involved, we actually don't get as much support needed mm. for, this, for this department. And so I feel like a, like a lot of people on my team, there's only two of us are wearing so many different hats just to balance this department out. 
Mm. And for social media, like what we do also is like I report every week about how much money we make to my like VP of marketing. And that's another thing that people don't realize. Like we actually do a lot of reporting with our roles Mm -hmm. and using that report and those numbers to really figure out and like on the creative side, what to do for Instagram, Mm -hmm. Facebook and YouTube and whatnot. So there's actually quite an analytical component to your job that people don't think about. Yeah. And it's just like, even for me, like being a content producer, I have to produce photo shoots. So at my company, we actually have a studio team that executes all the photo shoots for editorial and our website. For social media, I don't have that team. I have just myself doing all that stuff. I do get support from them, but I don't think people are aware that like producing a photo shoot takes a lot of time and work, and there's a lot of different roles involved. I think the fact that I don't have those designated roles on my team to do that it is a lot more work than people expect mm-hmm. and social media doesn't sleep. I'm online almost all the time, and I had and when something launches or a partnership is launching I have to be awake and ready to go and what about being in the fashion industry as well what do you do you feel like you people kind of like have certain perceptions of of what it is to work for a fashion brand yeah I think people think it's really easy and like oh fashion is about looking good and whatnot but there's a lot of things and within my company that goes into producing or like Mm -hmm. producing really good clothing every season it's just like we have a buying team we have a research team we have trend forecasting all this stuff that gets involved with fashion because and if you think about it, it's like when Devil Wears Prada, like fashion isn't just like you select something from a fashion bin or like a Walmart or Target mm-hmm. bin. But then in reality, this decision on what you're wearing, it comes from somewhere, someone higher. Right. So there is the a lot world. of research. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of pattern creating and stuff like that. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of competitors now involved because, you know, you guys all shop at Forever 21, you know, Fashion Nova, like urban outfitters and it's like how do you even compete against all these other different brands out there dang but i do have to say like working in social media and my job does help me do a good job with the abg i think yes. you're also very very organized and i think it is because your job does ask a lot of you mm-hmm. a lot from you and you wear many hats at work so that does help a lot with uh abg stuff too yeah it's, it's actually for our beautiful stories and our, <laughs> yes. our instagram feed is mostly from from her and her stories her filtering so of the photos good. Thanks, uh, work. And also, I do a lot of stories on the toilet. It really helps. <laughs> How about you, Janet? So I am a UX designer in technology. And I think oftentimes when people, they just see the word design in my job title and they're like, oh, you're like really artsy and, you know, like help me choose like what the color should be and like, let's brainstorm. And that's what I thought first. Yeah. first. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally fine because that is like the word design kind of has that implication. Mm-hmm. But user experience design is actually like, I do wireframing and I, I tend to explain it as like, the way an architect creates blueprints for buildings, I do that for mobile or web experiences. There's a lot of like logic behind it and I work directly with mostly like engineers. External to design people will look at UX design, they assume, they look at the word design, they're thinking like artsy and colors and fonts. But for those who work in design, the stereotype actually for UX designers is that we are kind of like the nerds of the designers. And for that part, I do think, you know, I did study math and economics and I do tend to like, be more of a logic driven person so that does kind of fit the bill for me and then being in technology and working closely with engineers i'm either usually the only woman in the room or one of like two or three women in a room of 12 men well i think the stereotype mm-hmm. not against you but against engineers and well, i guess you too <laughs> engineers in general is that there aren't a lot of like women within engineering colleges or engineering yeah, yeah. like work occupation right so yeah. do you feel like men are more intimidated by you just because you're a female <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I get the feeling that they treat me more delicately because, you know, maybe they're just like more gentle with men. But also sometimes they feel like they're afraid of me a little bit. <laughs> or they don't know so, how to deal with women. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So then there's the, the aspect of kind of just being more like hands off or like, okay, anything that you want or whatever you say. That sounds like a very powerful position that yeah. you're in. 
<laughs> do own it. Yeah. <laughs> trying. I'm trying to. I don't know. <laughs> I was also going to say that I think, especially in LA, technology is a very young industry. Mm. And then specifically, I work at a new media company. So entertainment tech particularly is very young. So people, when I tell them where I work, they probably think I'm like in my 20s or like, oh, you're like all up on like social media and you're like a techie. And I'm, I'm actually very like... I can do my job and I can, you know, do it well, but I'm not tech forward. I'm not one of those like early adopter types. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally thinking about this applies to like our, our weekend nights out because like here's young guys hollering at Janet when you're- Yeah. Just- and I'm like, I'm a decade older. Than you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what about you, Helen? Helen working in finance. I know like one type of stereotype against the general- bucket of like finance people is you think like wolf of wall street right mm-hmm. you think about investment bankers and that they're like always coked out and like working 100 hour weeks well you work some pretty long hours though i'm not gonna lie yeah but i'm not but you're not coked out hopefully. i'm coked out on <laughs> coke zero <laughs> her favorite um beverage yeah. <laughs> that's such a uh maybe that's like behind the scenes and i don't i don't see that but i'm definitely i don't know i feel like we're so busy that we don't have time to coke out and also another stereotype with that i think that's more prevalent within like maybe private equity or investment banking or those jobs where it's very very high pressure mm-hmm. um but so i that's another stereotype right like people will come to me and say helen do my taxes and i'm like that's oh, completely that's not different what you do at all what i do <laughs> that's true i do valuation i can't do freaking taxes <laughs> or accounting i think a lot of people think i'm an accountant yeah, because yeah. i work in an accounting firm which fair but i work in finance <laughs> very different i think you explained to me what valuation was and i was like uh i don't know what that is i think another stereotype they have on people who work in finance is that they're purely in it for the money mm. yeah and they're the type of people that are purely chasing money uh, and materialistic goods versus chasing a passion. I remember when um, I was trying to prep my friend who is actually an accountant for, um, we were prepping for an interview. Yeah, and we were working on his elevator pitch and he had to say like, I'm passionate about accounting. Yeah, and I was like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, please tell me why you're passionate about accounting. So I think that's why there's a stereotype on people who work in finance that they aren't passionate about their jobs. Right. I mean, I would say that I like love Excel. I feel like that's something, a skill that everyone needs to have in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or just like the functionality of modeling and all of that. It's like, it, like when I build out a very good valuation model, I'm like very proud of it. And I wish I could share it publicly, like put it on my Instagram or something, but <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. Client protected work. But um, I think there is a part of it that I do love. There is a part of it that obviously the demanding side is client serving. So you're always like working towards these long deadlines for multiple people. And it's that, that part of it is a little bit difficult, right? But then you also learn life skills from that. You learn how to like organize and balance and time manage and all of that. So those things I definitely can take from my job and be very like happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean, at the end of the day, people want to make a good amount of money. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people might go into the job because of that. They might, like for me, I didn't know what I was really getting myself into. Mm -hmm. I just knew that it was a good, stable job. But then once I started doing it, I was like, oh, like this is pretty fun. Yeah. Mel, to your point, I think like there is a stereotype about finance being like numbers driven and dry and not creative. But Helen, like you're saying, when you create models through Excel, because I spent some time also, um, you know, working at a big four and that was actually the part that I did find. It's really creative Mm -hmm. to, um, to create models and stuff. It is. And to, to have it all work and flow together, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm sure this is the same feeling as like, software engineers get yeah. they like develop an app or something yeah. like that right because you develop something that's a product of your own right. hands and you created something and I color code my tabs in very pretty pastel colors <laughs> so that's my creative spin on it <laughs>
So when you go out and you're meeting people and we talk about, you know, like maybe what city you grew up in, there's oftentimes a way that people will identify you based on that. So have you ladies gone out and had that experience? For me, it's like, I think I take it as a compliment. Like when I tell people I'm actually originally from the Bay Area, they're like, oh, I knew, I, I knew you're from the Bay. Your personality is so chill. I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm from the mm. Bay. And I take, I take a lot of pride coming from the Bay Area because I feel like the stereotype with the girls from the Bay Area, they're like more relaxed, chill. They don't care so much about like materialistic things. So I'm like, yeah, I'm from the Bay. How about you, Helen? Um, so I'm from Boston. I think it depends on who I ask. So anyone from the West Coast, if I bring up that I'm from Boston, there's a clear like divide because mm. of more like sports. Sports, yeah. So, I mean, I've had someone that I first met before. I said, oh, I'm from Boston. And then his first response was, Boston could eat a bag of dicks. And I was like, <laughs> Whoa. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I love you too. Yeah. Since then, I still remember that person saying that. But I think in general, Boston stereotypes, I think people here think Boston's racist and they all think that I should have a Boston accent. So a lot mm. of people are very surprised that I don't. There is a very small population of people in Boston that have the accent in Southie, which is like a very contained, like very white area. Mm. So not a lot of people actually have the accent. And in terms of racism, I, I didn't really feel that much growing up because mm. Boston's also a very large college town, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of diversity in terms of like food, in terms of people. So I think I was more around like that city area where the colleges are. So I never really felt a lot of racism there. How about you, Janet? So I grew up in Orange County and for the longest time, I used to avoid saying Orange County because you guys know the show, right? So for a while I would say I'm from south of Irvine and I find that especially when I'm like meeting Asian American people they know Irvine but they have a different idea of Orange County. I often get typecast as being like whitewashed or that you know you're a valley girl and that's That's a pretty loaded topic but I I will self-admittedly because of where I grew up yes I maybe have some of those qualities or some of that way of thinking. But also when I was in the Bay Area, people, based on the way I talked, they said, you have an L.A. accent. And I never knew there was such a thing. No. But I guess that's kind of like, because I say like a lot. <laughs> and a lot so, of people say like a lot. That's more yeah. like a millennial accent. Yeah. But there is but there is definitely like, they're like, <laughs> that if you talk in that way, people assumed that you were a little bit more of an airhead or you mm-hmm. didn't have substance. I think that's more of like a valley girl accent, right? Yeah. Which I don't think either of you have. I think I have a valley girl accent. Mm. No. Well, Janet, At you're times. just like, you're like an NPR voice. <laughs> voice yeah. so. But I mean, sometimes if we're at, like socially, like I, I will say like, like, like a lot. And then, and I know. <laughs> that wraps up our episode on stereotypes. I think a lot of these can be a little bit triggering and we take offense to it. But then there are other ones where we find some truth to it, right? Like, for example... All Asian women are not submissive and squealy in bed? Yes, we're not. (laughs) In conclusion, when it comes to stereotypes, there is value in knowing general traits and behaviors. But the danger is if we oversimplify and we don't allow for nuances. So, you know, it's great to recognize the patterns and the generalities, but they should only be used as a way to kind of build an initial connection with someone. And then at that point, when you have conversations with them, you start to get to know them, you really should be more open-minded and allow for the differences that they might share. So if there are any stereotypes that you guys feel are of particular interest to you, either because you feel like you fit under them or that you strongly disagree with them, share them with us. You can email us at asianbossgirl at gmail.com. And we're also very active on social media. So you can find us at Asian Boss Girl on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this episode, we have a little rating tool. You can go to <laughs> iTunes and we prefer fives, but you know, <laughs> give a girl a five. <laughs> <laughs>
And you can subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Spotify, and we'll just pop up in your feed. Thanks for listening, and see you all on the next episode. Bye. Bye.